It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, our guest is CEO Susan Linton-Smith. Susan is an accomplished business leader with nearly 30 years of success in generating sales and profit growth in global assignments in both public and private industries. She is currently president and chief executive officer for Quiznos, which she joined in July of 2012 as the global chief marketing officer and became president and CEO in July of 16. Susan has her MBA in marketing and finance from Indiana University and her Bachelor's of Business Administration from the University of Notre Dame. Susan Litton-Smith, welcome into the Corner Office. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us about your parents, brothers, and sisters, what part of the country you came from. All right. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting background. I, I actually grew up in Denver, where I am right now, so it's it's been fun to be back where I grew yeah, up. Yeah, full circle. So I am the youngest of four. There were um, four of us in six years, and I'm the only girl. So the reason I bring that up is uh, you would expect for me to be extremely spoiled being the only girl and the youngest. <laughs> but I think for everybody who has older brothers, you can appreciate oh, yeah. that. <laughs> you had to fight for your mashed potatoes, oh, I'm sure. Oh, my goodness. They, they, <laughs> they definitely pushed me as a kid, and I, I have to credit them as we talk about, you know, kind of the path and journey to the CEO seat, I have to, you know, give, give them a shout out because they really did prepare me better than anyone else for the business world. <laughs> That's great. Well, tell us about your parents. Were they both working, uh, go to college? What was a little, a little bit about them? Yeah. So my dad went to college and he was a mechanical engineer. Um, my mother was, uh, a stay at home, a stay at home mom. Um, and then she ended up working once I was in high school. Uh, but she was, you know, the person who made sure that she ran us around to and got us every place, which I can fully appreciate as a working mother, how how difficult it is. I only have two and she had to deal with four. <laughs> and it's exponential, right? Yeah. <laughs> with that many. You know, and especially since, you know, I was a competitive figure skater. So ah. I was at the ice rink all the time. Sure, and early mornings. All four of, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then all four of us had classical piano lessons. So taking us to piano every Tuesday. So, um, no, but my parents, you know, they, they were great. Um, the one thing that they taught us really early on though, is, is responsibility. Mm. They told us very early, you all are responsible for paying your college tuition. Wow. Yeah. And you know, they did pay room and board, so they did pay a little bit, but they were not in the position to pay our college tuition. And 
believe it or not, all four of us did go to Notre Dame and it was a lot more reasonable back then than <laughs> <laughs> some of the tuitions are today. But it, that that taught us, you know, so we, we all started working as early as we could to, and we learned to save. And I really think that that background helped to propel all four of us into, you know, what we're all doing today. Right. Well, that's a pretty, pretty important message. Uh, did that start when you were in elementary school or middle school? When, when did mom and dad uh, begin to communicate that if you want to go to college, you better save your coins? You know, because I was the youngest, I saw it with my brother. All right, right. It, it's already so filtered I knew. down. So you knew right away, right? <laughs> I knew. And, and I was, I was such a saver. So I, I, you know, started very early on at, at age 11, believe it or not, because I was, I was very, you know, very tiny, but I was babysitting already. And it's kind of, yeah. So I, I started at age 11 and then I was folding papers for my brothers for a penny of paper. And there we and, go. And then I, I got my first real job um, in restaurants when I was about 15 years old. Wow. Wow. Fast food or what were you doing behind the counter? You know, it was a, it was a mom and pop um, Italian Mexican restaurant. And mm -hmm. at first I would take, delivery and to go orders. And then I became a server. So I, I spent most of my uh, high school and college years as a, as a, as a server. Right. Right. So the fast food experience started very early on. It sure did. <laughs> well, you talked about responsibility. What other types of lessons or influences did your parents have on you growing up? You know, they were, uh, they were big on, you know, integrity. They, they taught us all to uh, really work hard in school you know, they, they really did, they, they didn't um, sit on us and say, you have to do your homework. Like sometimes I feel as a mom today, <laughs> it was just the expectation that you got to do your part. You know, you've got to help out around the house. You've got to get your homework done. You've got to work and you've got to do volunteer work. So that, you know, they mm. really did, you know, teach us very early on. We, we had to have a lot of integrity. We had to give back. Um, hmm. you know, just really gave us the foundation to be really well-rounded, you know, individuals. Real, real good core values. It sounds like. Yes, there. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Were you a good student? I, I was. Um, <laughs> top of your class? <laughs> I was number two. All right. I wasn't right. the top, but she's still my really, really good friend. But Salad-Victorian. That's, no, that's I'm, pretty yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a geek all around. I, I, you know, really did study hard. Cool. Well, you mentioned ice skating and also, uh, was it piano, I write? Classical yes. piano. What, what other types of things were you doing outside of class? You know, um, most of my spare time was spent working in the restaurants. I worked yeah. about 30, 35 hours during the school year, which is, you know, that's that's tough. It was that's most, a lot. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot. That started during middle school or that was high school, I guess, at 15? That started in my freshman year. So freshman I, year. yeah, because right. it was right before I turned 15. Yeah. So I had to be extremely disciplined. I figure skated until I was a freshman. My my knees were horrible and I ended up having to to leave it at when I was a freshman, but took piano all the way through to my senior year. Um, also was in great books. I don't know if you're familiar with that, where you read different novels that are a couple of years beyond your your grade. And then you get together with like kids from other uh, other schools. And you have somebody who leads it, an adult who leads it, and you discuss the books. What were some of your favorite books uh, early on, you know, in the in those elementary and middle school years? You know, I remember The Outsiders, <laughs> mm. and that was before the movie. I just remember that one being um, really interesting. And then yeah. Island of the Blue Dolphin, uh, the Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. Right. You know, all of those I remember reading in grade school, which 
you know, I really enjoyed. Adventure. Yes. Yes. Sounds like there's a lot of adventure there. Awesome. And we talked a little bit about your work, folding papers for a penny of paper. I love that. Did all your brothers have paper routes or was that was one specific uh, brother that you were working for? Well, it, it was the oldest. He he always set the stage for all of us, and then it got passed down. But uh, when my third brother uh, broke his femur, it was in a body cast, I I ended up taking over the paper route. But oh, right. my, my brothers you. were happy on, on the weekends to have me get up and, and fold the papers early and get their bikes ready. And, and then I would go and collect that. This is back in the day when you actually had to go around the neighborhood. Right. Knocked on doors. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I did that as well. Right. You did. Okay. Customer it, service, right? Or knock on the door and ask to be paid. It's, and it's crazy. So they would send me around because they would see me and then they, I, they wouldn't yell at me, but they would say, hey, could you ask your brother not to put the paper on the roof anymore? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but I, I always got it. better So they knew tips. that you weren't delivering, that you were collecting for them. I think so. Yes. Yes. And then were you able to get the tips or did they give you a portion of them? Well, actually, I, I passed them on to them because they gave me a set fee. I should have negotiated better. Oh, got it. <laughs> your brothers were pretty astute business. Businessmen, it sounds like early oh, they on. They were. They were. They owe me money. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> I love it. And then, of course, as you said, fast food through your high school years. Yes. So you started about 15. Did that continue through college as well? In terms of your. It yeah, did. Yeah, cool. It did. So in college, it was a little different. I had to, you know, I, I went away and then I, I worked in a food service at one of the boys' um, dorms. You know, we had. Um, you know, girls and boys dorms. And I always worked in the food service on the, in the boys dorms, which, you know, helped the social life too. So University of Notre Dame, great school. Uh, did, did you grow up? So you lived your whole high school year in, in Colorado. What, what uh, made you choose uh, Notre Dame as your high school or college of choice? Yeah. So my older brother uh, went there first. And when we went for graduation weekend, he actually got married and graduated in the same weekend. Yeah. It was one of those wow. beautiful days in South Bend, Indiana. And I walked around the campus and I just said, this is, this is where I want to go. Awesome. So when you went to college, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do at that time? You know, I had more of an idea of what I didn't want to do. Mm. I knew I wasn't going to be an engineer, yeah, <laughs> right? Right. So I, I, but um, no, I didn't. Um, I, I thought I could be a doctor. There's so many things I, I thought I, I could be, but what I really enjoyed was working in this restaurant. It was just, and you know, and I worked in several during the summers, like I'm the crazy person who would work 60, 70 hours a week in the summer and I had to get two jobs. So did you stay in South Bend or did you return to, to Colorado? Oh, I would return to Colorado. Okay. Got it. So, so, so the job was there. Yeah. So when I went and they would always take me back every summer, which was great. Um, and they took me, I actually worked during like uh, Christmas holidays and whenever I was spring break. So kind of crazy that I could go get some hours and people were happy to take off and give me their hours. But um, when I, uh, when I went to, to Notre Dame and I had to declare a major, I, I did say, well, you know what? I, I like what I'm doing. I, I was very close friends with the entrepreneurs who had opened this restaurant. And I said, this, this is business and this is what I want to do. So I, that's what, how I kind of signed up for business. Yeah. And then my senior year, I was um, a resident assistant. And then um, for a couple of years, I was a teacher's assistant. In all things, I was a statistics um, assistant, which ah. is, that just makes me sound like a geek. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you weren't, you know, into engineering, so you, but you had to have some financial acumen, right, and, and science background there. A little, a little, but I really respected that professor and 
And I, I thought I struggled to get through the class. And then he surprised me by asking me to stay with him and, <laughs> and, and help others. So, Well, I know you went on to get your MBA. Now, was that straight out of Notre Dame or was there some full-time work experience uh, once you got out of college? It was it was straight through. So I, I was at Notre Dame my senior year, knew I wanted to get my MBA. Um, I, I was one of the few at Indiana University who didn't have a couple of years of work experience. I think I think they termed us rollovers. Right. But, <laughs> I remember me, that term. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But for me, it was, you know, I definitely knew I wanted to hit that stepping stone um, to get into at the time I was going to go directly into packaged goods. From, okay. you know, from uh, grad school. And then lo and behold, I end up back in restaurants uh, with Pizza Hut, which yeah. was uh, owned by PepsiCo at the time. So that was your first job out of call, out of out of MBA school. That's correct. Got it. Got it. Cool. And did you go into the, the marketing side straight away? I know that's where the majority of your career has been. Yes. Yes. I, yep. That's exactly right. And were you managing people from the get go or did Pizza Hut in those days kind of put you in uh, individual contributor types of modes before they gave you people responsibility? No, they had a really good process where it was more individual contributor and you worked your way up from assistant marketing manager to associate to manager. And as you moved up in, you know, titles, that's when you started to assume responsibilities for, for, you know, people responsibilities. Tell us about the first time you started managing somebody. (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, the the time I had the, the most people and I was in my late 20s, I was still with Pizza Hut. I was promoted to director of marketing and, you know, several agencies, several people who, you know, had previously been, you know, my counterparts and my friends. And I, I tell you, it was, it was interesting, but it did help to form my leadership style because I, I learned some good things about what to do and what not to do. Um, But that, that was, that was interesting because I, I will tell you straight up, I was, you know, I was single at the time, absolutely a workaholic. Um, you know, I, I would turn the lights on in the morning, turn them on off at night. And just, that was my life was working. And the, I, I, I think I had unrealistic expectations that everybody should keep those hours. So I, I learned, I learned through making some mistakes. I look back now and I just laugh, but, <laughs> but I, I learned, I learned how to be a better leader and not expect people to, you know, do exactly as I was doing, which probably wasn't healthy. And I also learned how to motivate and empower. And I think one of my biggest lessons early on is I was a great doer. Boy, I, I could execute and implement. And I had to learn that, you know, pretty early in my career to, because I was given such a, you know, huge opportunity, I couldn't do it all. And I had to learn to, to step back and to learn how to be more of a strategic leader and to empower and to delegate. Right, right. That's a very important lesson to learn early on. Did you, when you first started managing people, was it a little apprehensive? Was there some fear there? Or did you kind of move into it in a confident way, feeling that, oh, thank goodness, now I've got people to help me accomplish my goals? <laughs> you know, I was I was fearless back then. I yeah, was fearless, yeah. you know. Sounds like it. It's kind of ignorance is bliss. <laughs> so I was I was extremely happy. Um, no, I, I honestly, I took it on. I, I was excited about it. I I was really excited and I and I loved it. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty social. I, I I'm pretty outgoing and I really loved working with with a team. I was already working with a lot of people at the agency who were, you know, they're, they're an extension of the, of, of your team. And 
we had just a, it was a really a wonderful situation. But I, again, I learned the importance of communicating, of empowering, delegating, you know, you, you learn all of those really important things and, and motivating. So, uh, you know, I learned, I learned early on before I even hit 30 and I good really lessons. credit, yeah, I really credit some of my uh, managers or my bosses at Pizza Hut for enabling me to have that kind of an experience so early on in my career. Well, you, you set me up for my next question, which was really, you know, what, what have you learned from the bosses you've had in the past? You know, I think you learn from the good ones and I think you learn from the ones that frustrate you the most, right? <laughs> sure, absolutely. Maybe more from the latter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. But you you do learn. Um, I, I was very fortunate. I had a couple of very good bosses early on. And, and one is my dear friend today. Um, he was, what I learned from him is I saw this guy really, he worked very hard too, but he would give others credit. And, you know, back in, back in the day, it, it was, especially when you're in a very competitive culture, um, people, people didn't always give credit to others. They, I saw people more taking credit and I looked at this guy and he would be like, oh, Susan did this. And it, it, he learned, he really did reward people and recognize people. And I saw how, you know, I love that. How motivating so that, that was for you. Oh, very motivating. One thing, one thing I learned though, you know, growing up um, in, in corporations, I always wondered why the head people didn't ask some of us who were at more junior levels what was going on and what we thought. Interesting. Because I thought if they just asked us, we know what's happening if they just asked us. So that's one thing I've taken into my job today here at Quiznos is making sure that people know Tell me what I need to know. Do you do kind of occasional lunches where you're pulling, you know, this entry level folks and sit down with them in an open setting? Or how, how do you go about uh, getting that information? It's, it's more walking around, uh, talking to people. Um, it's, it's, it's more. Yeah. And it's more when I when I stand up in front of our our team here in Denver saying, you know, tell me what I need to know, you know, being being very open and and asking, you know, I, I do ask for advice and I do ask for opinions. And I, I think that's important. One lesson I, I learned, and I do want to bring this up is the same, you know, different boss, same company. Um, I, I was doing new products and we had a test that did not go well. And I wrote a memo summarizing just like we do always. Right. And, and my boss kept making me rewrite it. And he kept saying, you can't, you can't give bad news. You've got to make this more happy and more good news. And, you know, I got to tell you, we ended up launching this new product nationally with TV, everything else. And it failed. It failed. Oh gosh. Devastating experience. And the CMO came back to me. Yeah. The CMO came back to me and said, what happened? <laughs> do and you I want said, to see my first draft? I, <laughs> yeah. How did you, how did so you deal with that? As I, you know what? I, 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 I was very honest and said, you know, we, we were not as forthright. Um, we were trying to paint the positive, but it, it didn't work that well. And, but I made sure I took that lesson with me and, and you don't, you don't, you know, you don't beat up the messenger, right? You, you reward those people who come to you and tell you what you need to know. But the other thing is they got to come with solutions. I mean, don't come with just problems, but come with solutions, but, but, but tell, tell the executives, because I always say I can fix it if I know about it. If I don't know about it, I can't fix it. Susan, how has your leadership style evolved over time? Well, uh, part of it is I've really, um, 
matured in in understanding how to delegate and motivate others. Um, what one thing is, I have become more of a direct communicator. You know, I've always been very. <laughs> growing up in in my in my uh, household, we were all very direct, and nobody ever had to wonder what somebody was thinking. But I did have to learn to kind of soften or. Or, or directed a little differently. So um, one thing is making sure that I keep a positive attitude, directly communicate uh, what's going on and make sure everybody knows. I don't think anybody should ever raise their hand and say, I have no idea what we're focused on. I have no idea what our priorities are. I want to make sure it's really clear, crystal clear to everybody. I've learned to listen more. I'm quite an opinionated person. Um, I think, I think most people are. You're still fine for those mashed potatoes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but I, you know, and that hasn't changed. I always have thoughts and opinions, but I've learned to sit back, ask questions and listen. Was there, a, was there a seminal event for you where you'd say that, you know, that really came across, uh, in other words, uh, maybe advising or uh, observing someone that you admired that was a good listener or maybe got feedback from someone else? Tell us a little bit about how you came across that, because that is a very important uh, skill set, you know, for somebody in the corner office. You know, I think it came more from as, you know, there's always a lot of turnover at the top as we had, as I've seen leaders come in, new people. It always kind of uh, frustrated me. Frustrated me a bit when I when they came in with all the answers and they didn't seek knowledge. That was a big thing at Red Robin. One of the one of the cornerstones and one of the of the culture was to to listen and seek knowledge before before providing your perspective. And I think that's where I probably grew the most in this in this uh, area. Uh, but. But seeing people come in and it was more of a company culture thing. It was there. a company culture. And then the experience I've had seeing leaders come in and and just think they have all the answers. And you're like, you know what? We really do have some good um, understanding. If And so I always said to myself, I'm I, when I when I'm in that position, I will ask, I will ask and I will give because. You know, I think that's really important and something that frustrated me growing up. So now I tell people. I have my opinions, but you can absolutely change my mind with facts and reason. You, you, you tell me, you know, you show me and, and, and they have, they have changed my mind because, Hey, I've made a lot of mistakes in my, in my career. And so I, I, I don't have all the answers. That's why we're all teams, right? Yeah. Awesome. You don't, you don't mind not being the smartest person in the room. It sounds like. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Do you recruit against that? Do you try to find people, particularly with other areas of discipline and expertise that, you know, obviously have a, a, a subject matter expertise that you may not have mastered? Yeah, that's a, yeah, what's, what's, uh, I, how I do recruit is looking for somebody who is, you know, willing to tell the emperor they have no clothes, right? Mm, but more importantly, yeah, yeah. I, I really recruit and look for, you know, positive attitudes, kind of that can-do attitude people who are resilient. Um, I do look for people who have made an impact. So what, when I look at a resume and when I do an interview, I, I'm like, tell me about a time in your past job or the one that you're in right now where you made a positive impact, you made a difference. If you hadn't been there, something would not have happened. Because so I, I think that also tells you, you know, somebody who can, is proactive and really does work hard and, and make a difference. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's very important. Um, you know, we're talking a little bit about interviewing folks, and one of the, one of my favorite questions is, you know, when you're making bets on people, you know, uh, what do you look for in them? You know, you know, you're going to invest in them. It's not just their salary and the benefits, but it's the time. You know, it's your time. It's the organization's time. You know, what are some of those things that are just kind of must-haves for people that you bring into your organization, whether it's at the C-suite or on the front line? Yeah, because you, you assume that everybody you bring in has a, has the right background, right? They have the right resume or they wouldn't have made the uh, cut in the first place. I, Hopefully by the time they're seeing you, that's the right, case, right? Exactly. <laughs> so assume, so putting those assumptions aside, I really do look for people who have the right attitude, people who are passionate. You can tell when they talk about what they're doing, you know, that they really are excited about it. I love that. People who, like I said, really do make an impact and they can tell you in the past, here's here's what happened and here's what I did. Um, and not just the I, you know, I, I do look for people who are talking about, you know, teams and, and you know, yes, we all make our, our individual contributors and make an impact, but people who are who are real and can work with others well and are problem solvers. I, I love idea people and people who have, you know, the skill set to problem solve. So those those are some real, real things that I look for. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. You know, it's interesting you mentioned passion because it's been a very common denominator in these uh, CEO podcast interviews where people have said, you know, that's really important. And I know in my own hiring experience when I was on the corporate side of the table and then also in recruiting, you know, it's kind of like, give me an ounce of passion for a pound of brains. You know, someone someone who's really very interested to make things happen. And uh, it's, it's interesting to hear that's a common characteristic of you as well. So you mentioned passion and problem solving. Anything else? Anything else that you think is kind of a must have regardless of the position? Position that they might be in or coming into in your organization? I think it's important that they can work with other people. I mean, not always do we get to select exactly who we work with. And, and somebody who just has a bent for uh, creatively solving problems, you know, if they can, but if they can lead teams, work with teams, and then really come up with some great, you know, solutions to business issues, I think that's fantastic. But attitude and passion, those are, those are huge. Very important. How do you decide, Susan, when it's time to micromanage and when it's time to stay out of uh, the sandbox, particularly with maybe some of your direct reports? That's a great question. I, I, uh, when, when things are going well and my direct reports are being extremely proactive and they're bringing things to me and then I, I can stay out. I, you know, I, I grew up in marketing. I, do not need to get involved with the head of marketing now. He was my VP. I totally trust him. I don't get involved. He's he's fantastic. So, uh, but where I see something not working well, or that that's when I will, you know, you, you want to empower, but at the same time, sometimes you have to make changes or you have to dive in. So it, it typically is where there's issues, problems, or it's just not as productive or working as well as possible. And you know, at Quiznos, we we. We just recently, you know, uh, restarted our kind of our training program, and we know through a couple of our franchisees that it wasn't ideal. So that's where you know you jump in and say, okay, let's regroup, let's let's fix this. And so I was a little more hands-on then, and and now the team has taken it, and they are like, okay, we got it, and then I will back out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about company culture. You've referred to it a couple of times. You know, what are your thoughts on building a company culture and, and the role that the CEO plays in doing so? 
Yeah, I, I think culture is one thing. You can put it on paper and say, guys, this is our culture. But I think the CEO and the leaders really have to lead by example. So for me, I think it's important. We are a franchise company. Quiznos is 99.9% franchise. So it's about being franchise and service centric. And so how I try to live that is to be very responsive to franchisees, talk about franchisees as, you know, we're here to service them. We're not here if they're, yeah, it really is partners, but to live that and show that to them and show a lot of respect for for franchisees when they when they call, email, et cetera, and how we talk about them. I, I really do. I have a plaque, you know, my personal mantra is attitude is everything, making sure that you keep that positive attitude. You know, it's, it's, I didn't come up with this one, but you, you, you can't control the winds, but you can adjust the sails. That's why I try to, you know, think things are going to happen, right? It's, it's, you know, so it's, it's making sure that you have that all in winning attitude and you, you just don't give up and you just, you know, you just keep, you persevere Um, and really more agile and entrepreneurial. So if people have great ideas, let them, let them run with it. That's, that's part of our culture and for the senior team to just enable that and to then to reward and recognize people who go above and beyond all of those, all of those are critically important. And then last is, you know, we're, we're one team, right? It's, right. it's not, Hey, we're company, their field, their, their franchisees. It's like, Nope, we're, we're all one team. It's called team Quiznos and making sure that I communicate that and live that myself. Yeah. Very important. You've you've had some wonderful uh, assignments and great companies through the years. Coke, uh, Western Union, which was a little bit out of the, uh, you know, the fast food chains. Red Robins now at Quiznos. What would you say is unusual about your culture at Quiznos? Maybe you know, compare and contrasting to some of those other larger and as well as middle market companies you've worked for. Quiznos has a great culture. I, I have to tell you, we this it's a tough business environment, and you know, we uh, like I said, we are almost 99% franchise. So you, you really can't control the experience in the restaurants, right? So the brand that people experience is really dependent on that franchisee and their team members within those four walls. So it really is about making sure that you influence and partner and, and communicate as much as possible. And are very, very clear on the priorities and the vision. Uh, the thing that's a little bit different and I love about our culture here is we really are one team. We all are in this together, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, we, we, we have a business and the environment that's tough. We've had a couple of tough years in the past. Everybody's on the same page and we're rowing in the same direction. And I, I think that's important. I, I've seen other cultures where you, you don't always see the executive team or you don't always see the team members all all acting as one, as one and uh, acting entrepreneurial. And I believe we're doing that here. You know, my daughter Rose Crew uh, at Dartmouth and she did it through high school. And, you know, in so many ways, the CEO is like the coxswain. Um, you know, the coxswain is the one that's out there, you know, saying, get the stroke right, get, get your paper in place. And the coxswain really can't take a much of a different change if the person decides to either catch a crab or, you know, not pay attention. But, <laughs> you know, it's beautiful. I don't know if you're a rowing fan, but, you know, to see a boat that just runs smoothly through the water, almost if it's gliding on top of it, um, is, is mostly due to the fact that you've got great leadership and people that can follow and, and really, as you said, feel as if they're on the same team. Uh, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. That paints a perfect picture of how I see 
leadership and how I see teamwork. I mean, when you when it's done right, it's it is beautiful, and that that's a great picture that you painted. And if it's done wrong, you know it. Everybody knows it. You know it. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, what direction are we going? You can't have the person in the back of the boat splashing and and. <laughs> That's right. Not paying attention. And I've been on those teams and that, that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel good. Absolutely. Um, let's loop back to some of the interview uh, areas that you spoke about earlier. Um, Susan, one of the things we love to ask is if you had five minutes, only five minutes to interview someone and it was a very important job, what would you ask them? If I only had five minutes, I would ask them, tell me what you're most proud of. Mm, yeah. And that could be personally, it could be professionally, but tell me, explain to me, you know, go through it. What are you most proud of and why? You see the passion, the attitude, and and it's great when people talk about what they're proud of, because then you're going to get an idea for what kind of um, what kind of work ethic they have and what's really important to them. What are some of your other favorite interview questions? I can tell you one I'd never ask. (laughs) (laughs) That's good too. One I was asked always growing up is, where do you see your career in five to 10 years and map out your life? And it's like, you know, it's sometimes. Give me a break. Who knows? (laughs) Sometimes life has a way of throwing a curveball and saying, really? Is that what you thought you were going to be doing? Um, But no, I I really do. I, I, I like them to tell me about what kind of culture they thrive in and what what frustrates them and what really energizes and motivates them as well. So when you talk to them about what, what was your absolute favorite job and what was your least favorite and why, then you kind of get the idea of do will they fit culturally? Because I do believe that it's really important to go to a company where the culture matches what you what what, what kind of motivates you personally. If I, I can tell you when I first started at uh, PepsiCo or with Pizza Hut, I love the culture. You you did a great job. You worked hard. You got the results. You got rewarded. I love the, you know the that that cause and effect kind of, and then you can move up quickly if you performed and 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 they empowered you really early on. And to me, that really went with my, um, with with my you know what I love and my personality. They told me, they said, we don't have this really great training program. We're going to have to throw you out in the ocean and see if you can swim. <laughs> and I'm like, so I've been doing that my whole yeah, life. I'm like, great, <laughs> great. That's perfect. That's, that's me. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Susan, you've been very generous with your time. Just one last question as we sign off here. What career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe has their eyes on the corner office? That's a great question. When I was at Indiana University speaking to some of the MBA students, the one thing I told them, and I, and I mean it, is, is do what you love and love what you do. If, if, if you really are passionate about what you're doing, you're going to enjoy, you're going to enjoy it so much more that and really keep a great attitude. I know I've said that a couple of times, but I do believe keeping a great attitude and having that can-do approach is really two key things. Loving what you do, having a great attitude. I think that's going to help people in life. I, I love the people too, who are proactive and say, give it to me. I Let me take yeah. it on. And, yeah. and that that's what happened to me early on and how I, I you know, kind of rose rapidly through the ranks is I had that attitude. And I, I love that. If, if you're, if you're wanting to get to the corner office, really stand out and make an impact and, and, and step out there, you know, so those are things I would say. 
we, we had another CEO that said, you know, I was very proactive about taking things on that other people didn't want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And making your mark with them. That's huge. Yeah. Can I tell you how much I appreciate those people? I have a couple here at Quiznos where, you know, I can, I'm thinking of two people in particular that just are like, <laughs> I'll take that on. I'll do it. You see the others <laughs> that, you know, you see those people don't make eye contact. Don't make. Cross their arms. Yeah. These people just say, <laughs> give it to me. I'll get it done. And it's like, those are your can-do people, your go-to people. That that's really that that's really what you're looking for in the business world, or in the, you know, and that that's the person who's going to at some point continue to get promoted when that position comes available. Susan Linton Smith, thank you so much for your time today and telling us about your journey into the corner office. We really appreciate it, and uh, we wish you the best of success in your career at Quiznos. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.